Hello, everyone, and welcome to Brownies Behind Enemy Lines, the podcast, a podcast by two friends closer to Pittsburgh than we are to Cleveland. And with that, let's get started with the show. All right, so I guess this brings us into episode two. Um, I'll tease it. We've got our uh, resident Steeler fan uh, that'll be coming on uh, later. Um, we'll cut it in. It'll be the second half of the episode. Uh, so, Matt, you've been keeping busy. Uh, what with the quarantine and everything going on right now? Absolutely. I, I you know, just uh, trying to stay on top of all these great Browns moves, man. Getting ready for our Super Bowl year coming up. Uh, we can we can only hope. I mean, I saw uh, one of those memes going around on Facebook. It was like all the random crap that's happened so far in 2020, and like it was like you know like Godzilla invades in like August, and then like February of next year was Browns win Super Bowl. <laughs> and uh, one of my friends posted it, and they were like, "Oh, this is you know all the crazy stuff's going to happen in 2020." And I said, "You know what? I'll take being in quarantine for six months and Godzilla attacking if it means the Brownies win the Super Bowl." Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So um, originally for this episode, we had planned to do like sort of like an off-season acquisition type thing, including the draft. But we had enough content with our uh, Steeler fan that we decided to split that up. So I figure in this one, we'll talk about our off-season up to the draft. So anybody we uh, anybody we signed in free agency, any of the coaching staff, front office, anything like that. Zachy, what do you think, brother? I'm gonna throw it to you right off. Jack Conklin just gets you fired up, doesn't he? Oh my God! So between Jack Conklin, uh, oh my God! I mean, so the thing that's great about Conklin is Conklin was in a very similar scheme to this wide zone run yeah. uh, in Tennessee, and I mean. Can you imagine being Conklin going from blocking for Derrick Henry going to blocking for Nick Chubb? I mean, I can't think in recent memory of any t- offensive tackle going from stud running back to stud running back, back stud running back to block for. Uh, and I think he mentioned that too, and that's what made the Browns such a cool spot for him. Is he just thought immediately, "This is a team on the rise. I got Nick Chubb back there." So uh, I'm looking at his stuff right now. We signed him for a three-year deal for 42 million with 30 fully guaranteed. Yeah. Um, and the big thing that's crazy um, with him is he's a huge, huge, huge upgrade from uh, Chris Hubbard. Uh, I mean, absolutely huge. Um, you can't see Conklin getting pushed back into the pass or like constantly happen with Hubbard no you absolutely can't so uh Conklin last year had the third best rate among right tackles in pass block win rate and ranked number one in uh in single team so when he was one-on-one he ranked number one in pass block win rate love it and he really gets praised for his technique yeah he's a he's a technician and I think and I I just I, I love him I think he Easily was the best tackle in the draft, and or not in the draft in free agency. I mean, sorry, my yeah. I, I need more coffee. Apparently, if I'm saying draft, but uh, no, he's absolutely great. Um, I think the only concern with him is that uh, before last season he battled injuries. Yeah. Um, but last year he managed to stay healthy. Um, it was a big investment in him, but I think that big investment's going to pay off because you and I talked before Hubbard when he was in. Uh, Pittsburgh was very much a like swing guy. So yeah. if you got Hubbard on the outside and, you know, with wills that we got in the draft, I mean, which we'll talk about next episode, you could probably swing, uh, you know, Hubbard, have him be that extra tackle to come in or maybe even swing him to guard where his speed issues aren't as much of an issue, which is a really big get. No doubt. I love it. I love it. And I like a couple of these um, and we, we'll talk about them in the future here, but I love a couple of these undrafted guys we got that maybe could back up that right tackle spot to Dorbeck. I like a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of experience. So I'll, I'll bounce this one to you. Um, yeah. One of the really value, valuable signings I think we had mm-hmm. is uh, in the quarterback room. I think getting Case Keenum in there Ooh. is an absolute upgrade. Love it. And just, what is it, two or three years removed from his uh, middle run, Zach? Yeah, I think – I think two. I guess. I think it's. I think it's two years away. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and he has a f- very. Uh, he's very, very, very familiar with Stefanski because you know Stefanski was up there in Minnesota with him during his big year. And I mean, quite frankly, I would much rather have uh, Keenum in that quarterback room. Uh, I think he's much brighter. I think he's 
he's going to be like that quarterback coach that you want in that room. Um, I remember reading Keenum, uh, the one year he was really, really successful in Minnesota. They were talking about the importance of uh, virtual reality snaps. Do you remember that? I do remember that. And he got all his work in, didn't he? Remember so he got a ton of work yeah. via VR stuff. And so, I mean, I think one thing that he's really going to help Baker with is just getting those, um, getting the, that sort of idea. And interestingly enough, Matt, uh, here's some random trivia. Mm -hmm. Case Keenum, when he was in college, do you know where he played? Uh, can't remember. So he played college in Houston. That's right. Yeah. And uh, he is very, very, very familiar with the air raid style Um and I could be wrong, but I think he had a little bit of a run-in with uh, WVU's old coach, Dana Holgerson, at one point. Yeah. So him and Baker both kind of came up in that air raid, which is pretty sweet. Um, pretty cool. Mm. That I like That I like a lot, that I wish more NFL teams would bring some air raid concepts in. But that's uh, making a mountain out of a molehill. And then, uh, you know, our big, our big free agents. But, I mean, what do you think about Case Keenum? I mean uh, – being added to that quarterback. Just about Case Keenum, I love that he's a hard worker and that uh, you know, and he's all about preparation. So it's, I think that that's great stuff for Baker. Maybe just have Baker ultra prepared, which I think it was questionable whether or not he was well prepared last year. I I think, and I I don't know, I don't really remember a hundred percent, but I think Baker came out and said in some post uh, season interviews that maybe he didn't take last year as seriously as he That's should right. have. Yeah, yeah. And if you remember, too, one of the big things about Baker that was really great his rookie year was how quick he was in the pocket. Not necessarily that he was like Lamar sprinting out of it, but that he was able to move around in it. Yeah. And so I think he needs to be a little bit lighter on his feet. I think Keenum is, again, is another guy that, you know, he can really model really well with. Um, and Keenum gives you that nice security blanket of, you know he's around a 500 quarterback. So if something happens to Baker, like God forbid something happens to Baker, at least you have somebody willing to step in that I trust more. Like last year, if Baker would have got hurt, did you want Drew Stanton coming into the game? Right, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, if uh, if there's a little minor injury and he can win two games for you, that could be huge for end of year with Cincinnati uh being better now and then with Pittsburgh and Baltimore being the front runners to maybe steal a game and be right in tight with for the division. Yeah, now I mean I know for the first time in a long time, at least in Browns fandom, you know, Keenum coming in to be the backup. I mean, how many times in Cleveland history, Matt, has the backup quarterback been the uh favorite person on the roster? <laughs> a I lot. mean a lot in my, my life. Yeah, Kelly Holcomb comes to mind. I think uh, Baker inspires confidence, and I think Keenum being his backup inspires confidence if anything happened. Now, um, somebody else that we signed to a one-year prove-it deal. I'm keeping our big uh, high-end free agent that we signed for the end for us to talk about Sounds here. Good. But uh, B.J. Goodson, uh, linebacker, yeah. uh, that they added. Yeah, I, think I, like it's, it. I think he's a risky signing, but it's only a one-year deal. So, I mean, it's not really a huge, huge, huge deal. Um some some B, some uh, Green Bay fans were really bombing when when they uh, when we signed Goodson because well they got they got my guy Kirko so yeah they got Kirko you know Goodson and one thing I love about him he's a solid tackler and I thought that killed us last year especially uh, you know especially when we got beaten Pittsburgh for sure but even two years ago in Pittsburgh remember when we just got crushed Zachy. And it yeah. was so many missed tackles, man. So uh, a guy like Goodson inside that's going to stuff, run stuff a little, you yep. need that. I mean, I think I think I'm going to refer to BJ Goodson, Matt, as the Golden Gate because you know he's a bridge linebacker. I mean, we're not going to have him for very long. He's this is a one year deal. If he if he plays his butt off, you know, he could. I still see him as a guy that we brought in to be that solid contributor that you can let, yep. you know, Taki Taki, Mac Wilson and Phillips all develop behind. Well, and he's a, he's a gap guy staying in your, in your, in your whole guy. And I noticed that that, that that's what they like now. Uh, 
you know, that kid we got from LSU, obviously we can talk more in the draft, but he's in the Goodson vein. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's very much in that Goodson vein. I, mean, I think make a play. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just think he's more of a bridge guy. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, maybe he comes out and plays really well and we sign him long-term. Yeah. I mean, I mean, anything, anything's possible. I mean, Joe Woods is very particular in what he wants in his uh, linebackers. I mean, I guess we'll see how that works out. Um, boy, Zachy, if we could, and you know this is all always our Achilles heel, but I would just love to see our linebackers for once making some run stops at the line of scrimmage instead of five yards into. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, people that had a million tackles for the Browns but never really blew you off paper. I mean, let me right. list some names for you. I mean, Dequell Jackson. Right. You remember Dequell? He yeah, had a million field. I mean, he, he had a, yeah, he had a million tackles. Anybody. He'd yeah. track anybody down. And, you know, I love my guy, and I thought we got a lot of value out of him, Joe the Show. And uh, But, you know, a lot of those – and Joe would come up and make a play too, but – a lot of those tackles downfield and Kirko too downfield tackles. I think I think what I think I think out of our defensive core, I think the biggest player we lost this postseason will be Joe Schobert. And maybe not even because of you know what he brings athletically all the time, but that sort of uh, lunch pail mentality that he brought. Every day you're coming in, you're gonna do your work. And he was yeah. football smart. I mean, you yeah. you I remember how hyped you were when we drafted him. I mean yeah. Well, and because he he had that unique ability to uh, also cover out of the backfield, and and I, you know, the the one Joe the show play that I always think of, uh, and it and it didn't turn out great, but it could have been great, and it and that may, might summarize Joe and Cleveland was uh, that Antonio Brown play when we had the Steelers on the ropes there, yep, back, and he got one hand on it, the deflection, uh, yeah. Hughes, Hughes last year there, and, and then Antonio Brown went 87 yards in the Steelers. Oh. But but it, off a deflection, Joe just – Painful. Yeah. Um, so, uh, with, 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 I think we're really going to miss him. Um, I was hoping we'd be able to bring him back just because, you know, Andrew Barry was here when we drafted him, and supposedly Barry was the guy that really liked him in the draft that year. Yeah. But uh, from my understanding, uh, the – proof was in the pudding because when Dorsey was here, as much as I love Dorsey, um, Dorsey had a little bit of my guyism, and Schobert wasn't a guy he drafted. Oh, and uh -huh. so supposedly, you know, the bridge was almost burned by the time Barry got here because Dorsey had been negotiating with him all year. And supposedly what I've heard, and I mean, it's a lot of Twitter talk. I mean, so, I mean, not all of it's accurate, uh, but supposedly that bridge was almost burned by the time Barry oh, got here and there wasn't enough fixing to go on. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, I think he wanted Luke Keekley style money, and I love Joe, but I don't think he's Luke Keekley worthy. Uh, yeah, I I like rolling the dice with Mac there, sort of our main dude in the middle, I guess. Uh, I the one thing, the one thing I love about Mac, and I mean, I know you're not on Twitter as much yeah. as I am, so you don't see it. Yeah, Mac Wilson is ten thousand percent in on being a Brown. And loving this team. I mean, I like it. You know, his his Twitter. I mean, if you go look at yeah. it, most of it is him talking about you know, who we drafted, about the defense. Yeah. I mean, he was fired up during the draft, during free agency. I mean, I haven't seen a guy buy in like to being a Brown and being in Cleveland this much, maybe ever. I mean, wow, I love it. I mean, he kind of reminds me of like, remember when Joe Hayden first came to the Browns and he like went all in on Cleveland? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it kind of reminds me of that. Like he's always posting. And I mean, during the draft, he was going bonkers about, you know, people we drafted, how great it was. That's awesome. Um, I mean, he's just, he just loves the Browns and he you loves his teammates. I'll tell you I, what I could say about him too, Zaggy, is, uh, he almost is like a, a sort of a stouter Joe the show because he um, I think he can give you that help in the passing game, covering some people. But maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe he can be a little bit 
more up along the line of scrimmage, making some plays in the run game too. Yeah, I think I think Mac. Um, I'm ready for a Mac attack. I think he's going to be yeah. great. Um, but um, that can bring us to in run support. One of the big things we did in free agency was we brought in my guy, who I absolutely love, yeah. and I stand for him. Uh, I've, I've been pulling for him ever since he came into the league. Mm-hmm. Is uh, Carl Joseph? Yeah, safety. Your mouth uh, here. My Mountaineer, yeah, I'm a huge WVU homer, so I'm going to disclaim that. I'm going to throw a disclaimer on that. <laughs> I think since he has been in the NFL, he has never been utilized properly. He's uh, had a little bit of ding-ups, and I mean, I talk about him a little bit later on, Yeah, but I just think he is a stud, strong safety. Nice. And I mean, when we brought him in, Matt, we had uh, when we brought him in in free agency after uh, Demarius Randall left. You know the only safeties we had on a team? Redwine. Sheldrick Redwine and JT Hassel. Oh, boy. So Carl Joseph, one, brings in that thudding mentality. Yeah. And then uh, I think you're going to have him in that run support role. Yes. And then they also signed uh, – what's his name? Uh, Andrew Sandeo or Sunday. Sandeo, Minnesota. Sandeo. Yeah, from Minnesota. So we got two yeah. defensive – or we got two guys in the defensive backfield – Mm-hmm. Um, Sandeo is 32. Um, I like him. He's been pretty good in coverage. Um, yeah. if the Vikings didn't keep Anthony Harris around, Sandeo may have actually started. Um, yeah. but I think Sandeo and Joseph be, both being added, I think, I, I think I view Sandeo more as that, uh, I, I think I view him more as a free safety and Carl Joseph more as a strong safety. I'm going to posit this, Zachy. If I love those two guys, and I love what you're saying there because I like Sandeo too. If, now I know it's a big two-letter word, but if we, if the linebacking crew comes together, we got a, possibly a top five D. I love that. I mean, I would, I would be fired up. I mean, I mean, it, you know, if you're Miles. Miles was on track for what 16 sacks last year. If we yep. get some similar production for Miles over the course of a year, if and they better keep Vernon here coming up June 1st, I don't see any what reason why they wouldn't 15 million or not. Mm-hmm. But Vernon can play some ball, he he can get some pressures. He looked great last year when he was in before he got the, in. Uh, the one thing too that gives me a lot of uh confidence too in that defensive yeah. line Matt. I mean you know me I love my offensive and defensive linemen um the other thing that adds a lot of depth there is uh to keep Vernon fresh as we signed that Adrian Claiborne from uh Atlanta yeah they gave him a multi-year deal too Zach. we gave him a two-year deal yeah. um so here's here's the big stat I love okay so uh, of 100 or of 111 players with 500 pass rush snaps over the past two seasons yeah Number one and two in quarterback pressure rate is Miles Garrett and Adrian Claiborne. Wow. And that's why they went and got him up, which I thought was kind of interesting because when you look at it, it doesn't look like he was a full-time player there his last stop in Atlanta, but must have showed a lot. Now, so the one thing with Claiborne is Claiborne does not rush well from the left side. Um, So he rushes from that right defensive end spot, too, which I believe is where Miles Garrett also has been rushing the past couple of years. But the thing that Claiborne does that's real interesting is if you put him in, you could run a a four-man front with Claiborne, Miles, and Vernon, and then throw in like an Ogan Joby or a Sheldon Richardson I love it. So if we and I love our our cornerbacks, greedy makes me a little bit nervous. But I love Mitchell and I love Denzel. And uh, you know, if Carl Joseph plays well, like like you think he can do, and Delpit can cover some folks, man, then, uh, then that well, means just some of those linebackers got to make tackles, which I like our chances. There. Yeah, and we and we also have Matt too um, in free agency. Another prove it deal of a former first round pick. Kevin Johnson, corner from uh, Buffalo. Right. Um, he had a pretty productive season last year. Uh, he had 36 tackles and five pass deflections. Wow. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was like maybe three, four years ago, Kevin Johnson, when he first came into the league, played really well and then got hurt and kind of disappeared for a couple of years. Hurt, hasn't he? He's like, 
Yeah, and he's going to probably fill in that TJ Carey cover the slot kind of role, right? And so, I think, and I think he's an immediate upgrade to TJ Carey. Um, yeah. The one big thing about that defense is, I mean, there's question marks there, but the one thing that Andrew Barry did that blew me away was yeah. getting a lot of those guys that are talented athletically, giving mm-hmm. them a one to two year deal with not a lot of money, almost like a prove it. Like yeah. Kevin jo- Kevin Johnson, one year deal. Uh, I think yeah. Billings was a multiple year deal, but uh, Carl Joseph, one year deal. BJ Goodson, yeah. one year deal. He's yeah. taken risks on people with upside. Yeah, Sandeo, uh, one year deal. So he's taking guys with upside to cheap one year deals, hoping that you know either a they work out or b yeah. one of the guys we drafted those positions will come in and play well. Zachy, all I got to say, brother, is if Taki Taki can start having some, uh, you know, at times last year he looked aggressive. And you met, I just remember that college game when they went out to Wisconsin and won and he had like 18 tackles. That was an amazing game. And I watched that with my brother-in-law. But um, all, the, all the talent for Taki Taki is there. Um, I think he just needs to bring it all together. And I think he's going to have a better linebacker coach this year. Um, I really, really like the guy that's uh, – Coaching our linebackers this year, Who's whose that? name is currently escaping me. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Jason Tarver is the guy that's coaching linebackers this year. I had to go look him. I had to look him up. But uh, Tarver's got 17 years coaching experience. He's been the defensive coordinator uh, for Stanford and Vanderbilt in college, and then he was also um, the DC in the for the Raiders for a couple seasons. Wow. Um, he had he's had. Uh, 13 seasons, um, uh, 13 seasons overall coaching in the NFL, but 17 years coaching. And he coached, uh, last was San Francisco. So he was with Joe Woods out there, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, he's really he's great. And I think he's perfect with Joe Woods, which is awesome. That I'm, I'm getting, that pumps me up. I saw his name, but I didn't know much of his background. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a really awesome article on uh, clevelandbrowns.com. I think it was written by, I don't know who it was written by. Oh, it looks like it's just a staff writer, but um, it's Brown's 2020 coaching staff is the name of the article. Um, And literally it's just uh, talking about Kevin Stefanski's first staff as a head coach. And then it has links to each person in it that links to like an article written by one of the staff writers for the website. That's it's, it's really great. I mean, high quality stuff. Hey, um, how's that? So what are you thinking, man? Let's get to it. Talk well, about big free well, agent acquisition. Yeah. So our big guy and he, and the, my favorite part about it is he is down in Austin, Texas right now with Baker Mayfield. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Austin yeah. Hooper is down Ooh. in Austin with Baker yeah. working out. Um, um, yes, Hooper's, Hooper's down there. I know Hooper's down there. I know Higgins is down there. There's a couple of guys that are in Austin with Let's Baker go. working out. Hey, and it's you know, what? you you were talking, you and I'll let you go on some Hooper action here, but I'll, and I'll set you up a little bit. Uh, two little quick points. One, I'm gonna argue Baker loves his tight ends, his great Oklahoma tight end, and then I'm gonna and then I want to say part two is that we haven't given him a tight end yet. Nope. And Joku's great when he's in, but he's been dinged up the last couple yeah, of seasons. Man. And he's um, in catching the ball. So the big thing now with Stefanski is uh, he needs a great frontline tight end. I mean, absolutely requires one. Um, I looked up some stats. Um, Stefanski last year in Minnesota – he used multiple tight ends on 57% of their snaps last season. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Hooper is an absolute necessity. Um, do you like Hooper, Zach? What do you like about So Hooper's he's great pass catching and he's great blocking. He's like your ideal all-around tight end. Um, I think he can block. I think he can catch. Um, so I think if you had to put it right now, he's our number one guy. And then Njoku's our number two guy. So I would see, honestly, like Hooper being your inline tight end. So yeah. on the line of scrimmage, almost like an extra tackle at times. And yeah. then Njoku would be your almost like your wing tight end. So 
you'd have one guy be in line, one guy off the line. And then in Joku, you know, you move him around, get him in the pass game. You could flex him out wide. There's a lot you can do with uh, in Joku just because of his pass catching and his athleticism. But I don't want to undersell Hooper's athleticism. I mean, he got hurt a little bit last year. Um, I think he had a knee injury, uh, a minor knee injury. Uh, but he had 75 catches for 787 yards and six touchdowns for the Falcons, yeah. missing three games. That's amazing. Um, hey, and uh, so we're looking for him to be great. Uh, and Joku, Zach, you think Chief can be counted on to catch the rock? So with Chief, the big the big issue is just consistency. I mean, oh, man, I was I was listening to two. Um, it was either Cleveland Browns Daily or Tomahawk. I can't remember, but one of the guys on one of those shows. I listen to too many Browns podcasts. Um, but one of the guys on there was talking about how it typically takes three years for an NFL tight end to really get acclimated. So for me, this is the season where you decide whether Njoku's worth it or whether he's not. Yeah. Um, you know, three years in the NFL, typically you start growing. I mean, he's really young. I think he just turned 21. I'll tell you what, if he could uh, – if he – could somehow come alive and the defense would have to worry about him a little bit with his speed. Boy, wouldn't that open it up for Hooper and then OBJ and Juice, obviously, too, and Chubb. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, goodness. if if the Chief could somehow have some people worried about him, which he's worrisome. With oh, absolutely. Four or five speed or whatever. You and, know? Here's the th- and here's the thing. If you have both Hoop and Njoku on the field, those linebackers have to commit to one of them. You just have to. And I then, mean, yeah. I mean, it's insane. I mean, it, I mean, it really sounds ridiculous and it sounds hyperbolic, but yeah. the Browns offense literally has one of the most loaded rooms I've ever seen, at, at least as my time as a Browns fan. I mean, the wide receiver room, loaded. Tight end room, loaded. Running back room, loaded. I mean. I agree. And so the only thing to me, though, is now crossing some T's. It's it's OBJ running that tight route where Baker knows where he's going to be. Uh, it's Chief, when he gets open, which he do- always does, and gets some separation, catching the ball. So we had some more content here, but we decided to cut it and leave it for next week's episode. Uh, we're going to go ahead and smash cut into our next segment. So as we talked about last week, we were going to have people from around the AFC North. Uh, we're going to get into our first segment with our resident Steeler fan. I guess we're just going to start riffing. I, I don't really know how to go SD about this. in the man. house. Boo Steelers. <laughs> this is the Browns' worst nightmare, a Steeler fan. <laughs> oh, At least hey, a Steeler we- fan talking. Hey, we, I'll tell you what, SG, though, you, you know, growing up, man, and uh, I just remember, uh, and we talked about our first episode last week, we talked about, and I talked about that Cardiac Kids Brown season of 80, you know, when, when uh, well, it was the old Three Rivers jinx. The Browns never won in Three Rivers. But I want to know this. Now, that's, I have, that's called a jinx? Because you got <laughs> I mean, Come on. I, I had a bunch of Jerko Steelers buddies growing up, and they just let you know, rub your face in every Steelers win, and there were a lot of them. Pretty easy. And then they'd they'd cry. There'd be some big problem when the Browns finally pulled one out. But I had to crack up. And I wondered, though, growing up in West Virginia and me right across the river in Ohio, did you have any Browns fans buddies growing up that you just was like, come on, man? I didn't. I I was in Steeler country, and it was – and Cowboys were the, the, the yeah the rivalry. The big, the big I mean, rivalry game. That's one of my brothers was a Cowboy fan because he had to take opposite the Steelers. You know, right? <laughs> right. No, I no, I just we assumed we were going to beat the Browns, so it wasn't like it was a rivalry. <laughs> you know, and I, you look at this. <laughs> it was so funny, man. And it, it's funny though, Zach. The mirror between. Big Ben's domination of the Browns, unfortunate domination of the Browns, and Bradshaw's domination of the Browns in the 70s. I was, uh, you know, that great cardiac kid season we talked about last week. Uh, Bradshaw, you mean the precursor to Trent Dilfer? <laughs> man, he was a big play guy. He wasn't the manager. But, uh, but uh, we He won with stud wide receivers and a stud defense. You can't convince me he's not Trent Dilfer. Yeah, but you're not going to see that. You're not going to see that anymore in the, in the NFL. 
other than the Patriots, but you're not going to see that dynasty anymore because free agency. Back then, once you developed your team through the draft, you had them for a solid six, seven years together. You don't have to. Yeah, Yeah, and TB came along like that too. Um, I had to crack up though, Shane. Uh, In that 80 cardiac kid season, 11 and 5, you know, we blow it to the Raiders who go on and win the Super Bowl. What happened in that game? I forget. Red right 88, Mike oh, Davis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> could have kicked the field a lot. Well, that's right there. It tells you everything. Your kicker was a straight-on kicker. Yeah. The time, oh, yeah. Baby. Get the boot on. <laughs> Throw in the boot for the sideline. <laughs> right. But uh, you know what cracked me up, though, is uh, I just remember a big, you know, my 11-year-old self, I remember a big um, – Steelers win that year. So I was taking it out. We won and got beat in Pittsburgh as always. But all I had, I was thinking of you, SG, because two key Steelers were out for our big 27 to 26 win in Cleveland that year that I remembered as a kid. What big offensive guy was out and what big Browns killer on defense were, was out? Would you guess if you had to? What's the greatest offensive killer of the Browns in the 70s? Who is? Offensive killer of the yeah. Browns from a Steeler guy? From a Steeler mm-hmm. player? Steeler guy. Franco? Yeah. Well, no, we just talked about him. him. <laughs> Bradshaw, man. Oh, okay. Well, Frank, well, I mean, Turkey Jones tried to take care of him one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was hurt. <laughs> he was out. And who on defense that we hated? Lambert. Oh, yeah. Lambert was out for that game, too, man. Can we, can we talk about the fact that if Lambert played in today's NFL, he would have never seen the field. He would have been suspended in his first three games. And he'd probably been a safety. He's only what a, he's only about 215, two, wasn't he? 220, yeah, 6'2". He would, have killed, he would have killed somebody. Yeah, boy, he, yeah. I, I still like him, though, to stop the run nowadays. you got to have that guy that will make some tackles. Oh, he's my favorite player back in the day is on the defensive side, but – but you think about where he was. I mean, he he was behind that unbelievable defensive line, hmm. and he could be small because he didn't take on blockers. I mean, he could just roam side to side, he just clean you know, it up. I mean, he he was. I mean, that was a perfect fit for him. I mean, he was a great player. I loved him, but still, no doubt, there's always fits in NFL. How do you fit fit in? That. Absolutely. And I mean, that, and I think that's probably one of the one thing that's so vexing being a Browns fan with the Steelers is, you know, seeing how well they draft those fits and develop those guys. I mean, it's what happens when you have a consistent front office for 25 years. I mean, you, that's the difference front office. It's consistency and Browns haven't, haven't, has, has not had and the Steelers have. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if you look at the successful franchises, in the NFL, they're those ones that aren't changing all the time. I mean, like them or love them. I mean, the Steelers do that. And I mean, the Patriots do that. I mean, those teams that are year in year out are the guys. I mean, if you look in the NFC, there's not as many, but I mean, I think one of the longer held together NFC teams would be Seattle, I think. Right. Right now. Yeah. Cause they've, they've had the same GM and coach for at least since like 2011. I heard a stat and I may be wrong, but some they've won, they've won the most games in the NFC. And the last since like Pete Carroll's been there, is that that, that sounds, sounds like right? right. Be that sounds it sounds right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, every year Russell Wilson's tough, man. So, what about the rumor that uh, came out like last week that supposedly uh, in the draft when the Browns were going to take Baker, that Seattle called and tried to trade uh, Russell Wilson and the first overall pick uh, for Miles or no, not Miles? It was yeah, Russell Wilson and the first overall pick for that uh Russell for the first overall and there was like another pick involved I forget what exactly it was but a Miles Garrett there was a Miles Garrett and then like one of their linebackers or something was involved in the deal it was like Russell Wilson and a linebacker uh for or Miles Garrett for a linebacker and then first overall for Russell and it was like tied in the same trade no way they'll ever get rid of Russell no well, so it came, it brought up an interesting point to me is because a lot of those teams now are building around those rookie guys. Cause you can like the rookie quarterbacks, cause you cannot pay them. Right. And your championship yeah. window. I mean, look at um, Los Angeles with the Rams. I mean, they, they basically started falling apart when they had to start paying Goff. 
And I mean, Kansas City want, just won a Super Bowl with a rookie deal where they can afford to pay everybody else because they're not paying the quarterback. Brady gives up money to sign guys for all those right. years with the Patriots. Yeah. But there are a few guys out there that, that want the rookie contracts up. You got to go, you got to keep them because they're more valuable than no doubt than half your team. I mean, you got to sacrifice other places to take care of Russell Wilson. And you know, absolutely. And I'll tell you, are done with Roethlisberger. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, the one thing about Ben too, as much as I hate him, um, he uh, he's been really good about you know when he gets paid. If the team needs something desperately to win, he'll renegotiate his deal, spread it out, swap signing bonuses and stuff to allow them to manage cap. As much as I think he's an egocentric uh, pain in the ass, he has done that fairly well. Yeah, he'll let everybody know he's doing that, so it makes him look look good too. Oh, absolutely. Hey, uh, you know, if we, if we, before we get into some Brown stuff, I, I, I might be in the minority here, but, uh, that Steelers draft looks pretty good to be honest with you. Did, yeah. Did, so, uh, did so Shane, like, if you had to, if you had to pick your uh, favorite guy they drafted, who do you think you'd be? Well, I think, I mean, I think the Claypool guy will, will, will fit in. I don't think he's the, I don't think he's the greatest receiver, but I think he, what he'll do is he'll, He'll allow Juju to go inside. He'll allow Deontay Johnson to be in more of a slot. And let's be honest, when Roethlisberger comes back, he's going to make all those guys look a whole lot better than what they were last year. But I think he allows, gives you that big receiver on the outside, which will allow the other guys to have more success. He may not have all these catches, and he may not look like a great draft choice, but I think if he stays healthy and, and gets on the field, He'll make the team better. So, so do you think he's like a Martavis Bryant type, where he's going to take yeah. the top off the tape, yeah, take the top off the defense? I'll tell you, yeah, he's stretch the field. Yeah, he's in the top ten. I think he's number nine all-time Notre Dame receptions, and they've had some good receivers. So, yeah. he's a baller. Three three year starter. Yeah, somebody, some big, Cosell is that his name? That's that the guy that does the. Yeah, Cosell does yeah. some. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of like him, and he he wasn't real high on him, though. I'll say that. Hmm. So what I've noticed with Claypool is there's people that are split right down the middle on him. Hmm. Uh, There's people that really like him, and there's people that really aren't crazy about him. Um, I'm in the sort of not quite sure what you're getting with him camp. Um, Like I said, there's a lot of people that really, really, really like him. I'm one of those that's like I feel like he kind of fits – in that exact same mold of like what you guys got Eric Ebron to do as a rookie, like that, that go up over the top, be a red zone guy. I just don't know if he has the top line speed to be Martavis right. early on. Now, I mean, right. I think the Steelers will develop him because I mean that is something that they do fairly well. They're going to uh, need a red zone guy because with injury prone Ebron and injury prone McDonald, yeah, who's going to be red zone? And <laughs> listen, listen, we, you know. They're going to be able to sideline. They say Claypool does not smoke as well as Martavis. So, so uh, Claypool, uh, Dane Brugler had him as his 12th overall uh, wide receiver and had him as a second to third round grade on him. Yeah, that's where they got him. And that's right around where they got him. I mean, I think they got good value there based on who was I available. Two guys that I liked that they got. I like that Highsmith kid. Uh, I like him too. Yeah, 15 sacks, man. No, he's I, the kid. He's the kid from Charlotte, right? Yeah, he had 15 sacks, and I saw this was during the season last year. But Dabo really uh, praised him. They they played him, and he uh, he said, "Man, that kid's tough." Well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's a good player, I think, and he sounds like a a classic dude too, which I like. You know, and he's not heavy. He's gonna have to put on weight, but I bet the Steelers, uh, knowing. They're they're smart about what they spend, and they they had to franchise Big Bud. Yeah, so they were thinking we're not going to pay him that again. So this guy, I think they're looking for this guy to be like that outside linebacker, Bud Dupree type. Of he, re- he reminds me a little bit of like an edge version of Ogunjobi, Matt, because that's actually where Larry Ogunjobi that the Browns drafted went or a couple years ago uh, went to school with Charlotte. He was the first graduating class out of there. Yeah. Um, since they had a program and I mean he's one of those guys he does stuff consistently he's gonna he's gonna get after it I mean as as we've said a lot I mean it's really easy to rush the passer when you've got a TJ Watt on the other side from you yeah 
I agree. And that, and he's not going to get rushed in there as long as he's got Dupree. So he can, he'll come in on situations and, and they'll probably just baby him in a little bit. And well, yeah, I mean, like, I think he's like 240. He's like 6'3, 240. So he'll have yeah. to put on some, he'll have to put on a little bit of weight. But I mean, I mean, a lot of times you see those like smaller D1 guys. So like the non power five D1 guys, when they come into the NFL, you see them change their body a lot because they come in. They're now with a world-class nutritionist. They're now being able to eat regularly and eat better and work out regularly and work out better. Um, so you, you oftentimes see those guys come in from those smaller D1 uh, programs, mm-hmm. and you see them completely change their body in that first year or two just because of all the availability that they have that they didn't have at their school. I mean, right. those, bigger, those bigger schools like LSU, Alabama, those types, those guys aren't going to change a whole lot because they're pretty much an NFL program, if not a little bit better sometimes than an NFL program in terms of facilities and availability of that sort of stuff. That's like similar to when I got married, man. I put on some weight right away because I got I started eating better. <laughs> hey, I was eating Greek cookies, man. This guy said, this old Greek guy told me at my wedding, he said, you, I was eating a Phoenicia, had this big old Greek cookie, and he said, you eat those. That's ten. That's plus ten. Just that cookie alone. You're first. <laughs> now, uh, with the Steelers, the kid that I really like that they got is I like the uh, running back from Maryland that they got. Yeah, I was going to say that I like him too. I think he's a. I think he's a fit in the I got some funny back there. He looks tough, but this cracked me up about him. And I, I was reading a couple. I think it was uh, Zerline was saying this, but he said, "Quote: He's like a child." He's very high maintenance. <laughs> this, yeah. this kid they got. Well, let's, well, let's be honest. Can, if there's somebody can handle high maintenance, I think right. Tom handles those yeah. guys pretty well, evidently. He, yeah, he, he, he usually just handles high maintenance yeah. guys by giving them an envelope full of cash. <laughs> What's wrong with that? What is wrong with that, baby? Let's go. So, you know, yeah. I'm all about that. You know who Dane Brugler compared the uh, McFarland kid to? He compares them to Dalvin Cook, like. Ooh, I don't know about that. Oh, I know. He says, like, he, says uh, he has questions with his blocking, his workload, and his durability. But he has flashes that make him look like Dalvin Cook, and they thought he was a gamble at some point on day three. He had him a fifth to sixth round grade, but I think the fourth is a good place to get him, especially because there was a run on running backs right around there too. All I know is I saw highlights of him outrunning Ohio State guys. Ooh. His, uh, you're outrunning high state DBs, you're moving. Yeah. So he actually had a better season in 2018 than he did in 2019. But he busted uh, up ankle, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a busted up ankle. Uh, his 2018, he had 125 carries for a thousand yards for an 8.2 yard eight yards per carry, uh, and then had seven seven receptions for 73 yards out of the backfield as well. He was a freshman All American, uh, third team All Big Ten, and had a school record for rushing yards by a freshman. Here's a quote from The Athletic. His football character is, quote, unquote, atrocious. <laughs> Look how happy you are. Look how get happy in, you are, get in the locker room and just start crushing it there. You know that, sounds like? that sounds like a, a brown. <laughs> it does a little bit. I, yeah. think, I, think huh? the kid, I think the kid that's going to come out and help them immediately because I think they're getting old in the, in the offensive line is a kid from yeah. uh, Louisiana. I, they like him Kevin a lot. I heard they yeah. like him a lot. And I, hey. I saw that when I saw some of his highlights, he looks like a physical kid. I like that kid. He's strong. You know, PFF, Pro Football Focus, had him number one interior lineman. Steelers got him in the fourth. I'm telling really? you, man. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I wonder why he dropped that so far. I think it's because well, he's a smaller school, and a lot of people think that he didn't have that depth of competition because, like, you know, yeah, you look like a, a man amongst boys at that smaller school, but how are you going to hold up against the bigger competition? Trouble one pass pro, too, Zach. Trouble pass, pass pro with him. He's yeah, a run. Your guard, nah. Well, that's what I say, too. He's a run mauler, which I say, man. What is it? He's what, he's what Trey Wingo calls a hog molly. He's getting off. He's six four three ten. He's getting off the line, but he started four years at Louisiana. Yeah, he's not much on drop back pass pro, but he, uh, yeah, he gets pushed. That's what the Steelers probably want from the guard position to get some push. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I think he'll, I think he'll. I mean, Pouncey, you can't count on him being healthy. I mean, 
and they lost uh, Foster, so they got it. They needed some offense. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Ware, they they picked the uh, the second pick of their, of their second round. They would have gotten an offensive lineman. I wasn't surprised. Would have been surprised that he'd gone that way. And they traded up to get that kid, Dotson. I think was like Miami or something. They traded to get him. Yeah, they they they. they yeah, they traded up. Hmm. Um, Dot Dotson uh, Brugler had him as his seventh ranked offensive guard. They saw he was there and went up and got him. They moved up. Yeah, I think he'll be. I think he'll be all right. I mean, again, um, I mean, you guys don't have uh, your Hall of Fame line coach anymore to help bring people up. So, I mean. True. I, I hope that he develops people. I hope that – I don't know who you guys have in there right now on the offensive line because, you know, that's but my speciality, does, but he'll be all right. Yeah, but here's what's great, though. I mean, if he does get on the field, I mean, hell, he'll play against Browns twice and Bengals twice. That's that's, <laughs> you know, that's easy stuff. He'll get big G now for the Bengals. Well, he'll be he'll be worried because, you know, he'll be blocking for Mason or Duck because Ben's going to get hurt because he's an old man, can't do anything anymore. He'll think he's back in the swack or wherever that conference is. <laughs> okay, so um, I thought of another fun segment uh, that could be kind of interesting uh, since we have you on, Shane, is uh, I figure uh, if you could steal one player from any team on the AFC North, no cap implications or anything, just straight up take them and put them on the Steelers, who would you take? And then, Matt, we'll do the same thing if you could grab one from the AFC North and throw them on the Browns without – any cap implications right now. So like if you could just hypothetically just straight up take them, throw them on and not worry about where your salary caps at, who would it be? Mm, that's a good question. I'm not going to say Lamar, by the way, <laughs> you, you can have Lamar. Go ahead. Take Lamar. I, I do know. like Lamar. Oh my gosh. Sophomore slump I, coming. I think you guys know who mine would be. I'm all, I'm all about the pass rush. If I had to pick well, one person. Take I would take TJ, take him straight up, put him across from Miles. That would be an all-time great defensive line. Mm, that is a good one. I do like TJ. Um, I'm gonna say this one, and and, and it, it would it's very questionable mm -hmm. because of what's going on the last two years. But I think it would be perfect fit for Steelers. Uh, AJ Green. Oh, okay. Fit. He's still got a little if, bit. If he has anything left, I think he does. I think, I think he's got a little. I think playing with a good franchise and a good quarterback, he would he would have a great year. But I think that would open up the heart. I mean, that that would be a upgrade from my opinion, like Claypool, tremendously. I think I think the uh, other mm -hmm. argument you could make, Shane, is for like a like just straight up snatch like a Joe Burrow or one of the younger quarterbacks to develop. Oh uh, yeah. Because I mean, I mean, like somebody that doesn't have a lot of bad habits that has upper strength that you could then build for the future when you know Ben inevitably gets hurt. Oh my gosh, Joe, you'd upset Big Ben. He'd hurt his feelings, though. <laughs> you'd have an Aaron Rodgers like situation. Yeah, I know. If he was younger, I'd snatch Big Ben. But I guess we'll hope Baker Mayfield could win us some ball games. But I, I'll tell you what, I, I might be in the minority, and I've seen the Steelers a ton, so I guess I'll snatch a Steeler. But I like Bud Dupree, man. He put he gets heat. He he holds the edge against the run. He gets some pressure. He's heck of a ball player, man. Over TJ, Uh, you know what? TJ's quick, but and uh, and and I wouldn't say necessarily say over TJ. TJ's good, but Bud's a little bit bigger and he's a little stronger against the run than TJ. But you gotta love that aggressiveness of TJ. Nah, I'm gonna disagree with you there. Bro. I like Big Bud. I think I think Bud Dupree had his best statistical year was with TJ Watt across from him, drawing most of the double teams. Where Bud had a single blocker on the other side. I mean, I'll tell I, you, I, will say, I will say this though, Zach. He, uh, you know, really watching closely those Browns games, he Bud collapsed his side against the Browns, man, every time. And uh, sometimes TJ, he's a great, he's great on rushing the quarterback, but. You know, Bud holds that edge there and, and gets out there and, and runs support. I like Well, you know, well let me ask you guys this, and I don't know the Browns as well as you guys do, obviously. What's your safety situation look like? Why wouldn't you take Minka? Oh, so uh, the main dude, reason I wouldn't that do that was just Minka can play. play. Um, I'm really happy with us drafting Grant Delpit. I think he's great, and I think he can be great down the road. I think if Delpit doesn't get hurt his senior year, Delpit's a top 20 pick in the first round. 
PFF um, loved our draft, Shay. We got three uh, of the top 25 guys. And uh, the other the other thing is, I mean, we have a question mark at strong safety. There's no doubt. But we have my guy, Morgantown, uh, Morgantown grown Carl Joseph at strong safety. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Carl's just trying to try to knock your head off. You can't do that in the NFL anymore. <laughs> they won't even let you play anymore. So how can you play? I like Carl Joseph if you can put him – like I told Matt when we signed him, I really like him if you can put him at that strong safety. But if you try to make him play free safety, that's just not his thing. And when he was out in Oakland, they tried to make him be that free safety, that ball hawking Ed Reed type. And that is not Carl Joseph. Carl Joseph's a come up and run support type He guy, never so. was great even in college against the pass. I mean, he got Carl a- Joseph would have played in the 70s. He would have been all pro for about 15 years. That's true. So Carl Joseph also uh, reminds me of uh, a little bit like if you look at WVU, we had a couple of first round draft picks for like two, three years in a row where the guys couldn't either stay on the field or like like Kevin White got drafted in the first round and then Carl Joseph got drafted in the first round. And those guys, as much as I love them because uh, I'm a WVU homer, I mean, they just couldn't stay on the field because of injuries. I mean, I, I I hope Carl Joseph does well. I mean, and I think the main reason I wouldn't go after Minka, Shane, is I just think the pass rush is so much more important in today's NFL. You can get by with poor DB play if you've got good pass rush. Minka, you've got the greatest pass rusher in the NFL, don't you? Oh, we have the greatest pass I mean, rusher he can in the pass NFL. pass rush and throw helmets. <laughs> Listen, he was just trying to help Mason put his helmet back on. He was being a good yeah. Samaritan. He was being kind. He was going to hand it back to him there if uh, the O-line didn't run in there and blindside Oh, no, I agree with the pass rush. But what I noticed, and you know, you don't see the back end when you're watching the NFL games hardly ever, so you don't really see what – but that guy is always around the football. Minka. around it, man. And, and there's a reason behind it. He, he's got, he must have an unbelievable football – mind and sense you know what i mean yeah. well so that just doesn't happen i mean if you're around the football you know what's going on after you're you are uh realizing it's about to happen before it's happened you watched that you watched that title game though sg i'll tell you what delpit looked tough well, you do you remember why did, he, why did he drop because he was so high up was he so- injured uh, he got hurt his senior year, uh, like or I don't know if his senior year or his last year at uh, LSU in the first part of the season, and so there became big questions on whether he could tackle or not. Okay. So uh, my favorite thing is, and is um, if you look at his like last three games, his stats are back to where they were the year before. Um, he sort of played through an injury, and I mean that's kind of that Southern mentality. If you play through an injury, you don't leave your team behind. So that's kind of what Delpit did was he played through an injury and had tackling concerns. My favorite thing was, though, in his press conference after he got drafted, somebody asked him about his tackling, and he goes, there's no problems about my tackling. And when people ask me that, I kind of want to tackle them. And then he kind of, like, (laughs) chuckled. And I thought thought it was funny because it was like, you know, it shows that the kid knows that that's a concern of his but or concern that people have about him. But he's got at least the confidence to think it's not a problem. I do do like LSU guys. He came up and put that big shot on that on that big quarterback there that caused that fumble. That was a huge play. Well, hell, yeah. the Browns are becoming LSU North because they've yeah. got because Odell's an LSU guy. Jarvis is an Odell guy. Um, the linebacker we drafted, Phillips, is an LSU guy. Greedy Williams is an LSU guy. Delpit's an LSU guy. I mean, we got a ton of LSU people. Yeah. No, I. I mean, you got I'm at speed, but. Back to the Browns, when you have Odell and you have Jarvis, I think you got two two guys that are two want to be prima donnas. And I don't think you guys – I think one of them has got to go. I just think – I, 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 I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I think the I, I, really good. But I, I said on our last I'd episode. I'd hate to be in that huddle. I'd hate to be Baker because I, I know what goes on in that huddle. I said in our last episode yeah. that I feel like uh, Jarvis is one of the most uh, – important guys moving forwards in terms of keeping around in Cleveland. Cause I just think he sets a different dynamic. I don't think he's as much of a prima donna as people give him credit for. I'll tell you if what, I had to choose between Odell and Jarvis, I would choose Jarvis. Personally. Had serious hip surgery. So who did? who did Jarvis Landry did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they that, both had off season surgery, uh, but, but you know, Odell's was a little bit less like a, uh, basically getting a repair for a hernia. 
sports hernia, but Jar, you know, Juice had hip surgery. So if he he can't afford to lose much speed, Zach, because he has to run a precise route as it is to get open, which he does. Well, I mean, Shane, with you being a fellow coach, I mean, we can talk a little bit about it, but Stefanski coming in, he loves running that two tight end set where he has either just one or two wide receivers on the field and then two t- double tight ends. Mm-hmm. Um, and That's I think it's going to, I think it's going to really help both Jarvis and Odell because of the fact that, you know, when you run double tight ends with a back like Chubb in the backfield, I mean, you and I both know that you're going to have to load the box a little more. Chubb's going to run nuts on you. Right. So I think it'll leave Odell and Jarvis a little less coverage to deal with, which I think will be good for them this season. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're loading the box, I mean, if you don't load the box, you got two tight ends out blocking in front of Nick Chubb, who arguably was the best running back in the NFL last year, despite Freddie Kitchens being a moron. Yeah, I'm going to go back. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to go back to my A.J. Green now. I, I forgot about Chubb. <laughs> <laughs> I might take him. I think, he's, I think he's a real deal. He's a beast, man. I do. I mean, he, I, think, I, I think he's an adorable type kid, too. Yeah. Well, if you look at him, he had two serious injuries in college and came back from oh, them. Yeah. And I mean, he plays tough. I mean, well, I, I think he's really good. I fell in love with him at college. I remember sitting at a bar with uh, my wife. We were watching college football, and I said, "Look at this kid." I said, "He's had two major knee injuries, and he is still carrying six Notre Dame tacklers." When it was when Georgia and Notre Dame played each other, I, I think maybe it's junior year. Remember that, boys? I liked him high in that draft. I think the Browns—they got. They got a heck of a steal there. They got him in the first round, right? Second. Second round. That was a second yeah. rounder. Yeah. And he was tough. He, he uh, Had he not had some injuries, he would have really been. Uh... But I'll tell you what. The only thing that worries me, OBJ last year, he, he, he wasn't accountable, man. He doesn't run a precise route. So if you throw to a spot, you can't count on OBJ being there. He might get All right, so. Last year, Matt, you and I talked about how him having his wide receivers coach from college, uh, him and Jarvis, their wide receivers coach last year was their guy in college. And I think he they got away with some stuff that they shouldn't have. This year, they've got Chad O'Shea coming in from uh, – he was the coordinator in Miami. But before that, was longtime wide receivers coach for New England. And he was also a Marshall grad, by the way. Oh, there you go. Uh, but I think with – but I think with O'Shea, I think coming in there, he's going to keep the wide receivers a little bit more accountable than uh, the guy last year did. So, I mean, maybe I'm, that's a benefit. I, I, the Browns are a little bit weird, though, man, because uh, this will kind of bum me out. Now, I know we can't fill every need, but, you know, you got OBJ, kind of a head case last year, made all these, you know, if, everything was all about him. Uh, that bummed me out every week, whether it's his cleats, whether it's this or that, he's not getting enough targets. Juice has this major surgery. You, we didn't really get anybody in the draft, Zach. And it's like we're, we're, and we signed, I love we got Higgins. We signed up Rashard Higgins again for another year, who had a bad year last year, but two years ago was great. I, I mean, I just don't think wide receiver is as big a concern. I mean, let's look at it this way. Stefanski was in Minnesota last year. Can either of you name a wide receiver on that team that's not Thielen or Diggs? Uh, Laquan Treadwell. <laughs> <laughs> he fizzled, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, but, I mean, that, that's my whole point. I mean, when you're running a bunch of double tight and fullbacks, you're not going to have multiple wide receivers on the field as much. That sounds it, So, I mean, as as important as depth at every position is, I think – I think you'll be able to compensate for that a little bit. Now, I mean, we're not going to be like the friggin' Patriots when they had Gronk and Hernandez and we're just throwing it to just tight ends. But I mean, Zach, as long as you have two good studs in there and then some rotational guys, I think you'll be all right. Zachy, now this would pump me up, man. So by June 1st, they have to decide, which I'm sure, hopefully they do, if they're going to pick up Olivier Vernon's 15 mil, right, for another year. But I, I say pick it up. I know he's injury prone, but he gets some heat. So Miles coming at Ben from one side, and on the other, Ben tries to step up, and Big Olivier's right there on the other side. Woo! Well, here's All the right. thing about it: Miles is not going to get him because they're going to have these face masks 
face masks have these plexiglass. He won't be able to grab his face mask like he likes to do. <laughs> oh, Actually, man. the thing Miles gets most penalized for is offsides because he's yeah. faster because he's faster than the center. Yeah. The center starts moving the ball. He comes over and they call him offside, even though he moved right when the ball did. But oh, uh, my gosh. Oh, before before we let you go, before we let you go, Shane, wow, these, gotta, uh, you're a big homer. I can't believe you said that. I, I know what I said. <laughs> Let's talk it up with SD though, too, Zachy. On um, let's ask you, uh, you know, quarterback in a team to a state championship high school, and then also being on the coaching staff of a state championship team. What are some uh, pieces that you saw that you got to have? What are some intangibles or tangibles? It's just what everyone else says, and it's so true. And and when you're part of it, you don't even realize it's happening. But when you look back upon it, you you realize it's all about team chemistry, and and, yeah. and everybody sacrificing. It's everything that everyone says, every coach says, but we all know it's it's, it's the truth. I mean, my. When I played high school ball, we grew up together and we were best friends and we lived and died together. And and that's what got us where we to win the state championship. When that, I, that, 2015, that 2015 William Park team, wow. man, those kids were tight. I mean, they, they were tight. Up, they were tight kids. Yeah. And and they were talent. I mean, you have to have some talent, but but the bottom line is, you know, sports, you're gonna you're gonna come across some tough times. And when you have tough times, you got to bond together. You got to pull together. And, you know, we talk about that rope at Wheeling Park and how it's it's made up of all these little little strings and then it becomes a big, strong rope. And, and you got to be, in, you know, intertwined. And that's what it is. It's, hey, it's yes. whatever uh, the coach says, the same thing. I find your your senior year, Grafton High School, what, 84, right? Your state mm-hmm. championship. Yep. Uh, when you guys won it, guys pull some upsets man then yeah i would say I, i'll be honest we, we we felt like we i we, felt like oh my gosh we're gonna get beat were you guys expected <laughs> yeah. to be good that your junior year coming into your senior year and we knew we were gonna be good yeah we now didn't you- know we didn't know we're i mean I, i'll be honest i had goals at eight ten years old win state championship grafton high school was was the only thing I dreamed of, basically. My, had, you, had Grafton High School won a state championship before that? Name? Yeah, I think they said back in the 50s. Wow. You know, a couple things that stood out, and, you know, I I just love all your stories and would need a really long podcast to get them all in. We could. But, um, you know, a couple interesting things is, uh, you know, you guys had a tough beat a good Bridgeport team, seven to six in the semis. Yes. <laughs> I love the Matt research this. I love yeah, it. He did no, some no, homework, man. Oh. That, that was when the, that's when the uh allegedly they watered down the field. That's right. <laughs> and because of the the uh all time, I mean Bridgeport always runs the ball well. Yeah, they run that triple I and they just, just pound you and they, they play within inside the hashes and and they say you know, man up and stop us and they're unbelievable and they're they're still that way to this day and we, yeah. were, we were more of a option team so we we like to run some out on the edges at, at times and it that field was awful wet for some reason we don't know why <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> and, then, and then you know and there's so many interesting things but the other interesting thing about that run that you guys had uh was that tough man that you beat in the final I saw they pummeled St. Mary's in the semis. I want to say it was, I think it was 34 nothing. They I don't know what the score was. They, they, over, they overlooked us. I'm, I'm going to say it. They overlooked us and, and, uh, they were very, very talented. But you they, guys were definitely the underdog coming into that final, huh? Yeah. And, and we didn't, we just made plays when we had to. I statistically, I don't know if I would say they won the statistic battle. But we made plays when we had to, and it was just that's once again that's where we we felt we were a team, and and we just got it done. I I'll never forget the the, the uh, reporter coming in after the game, and back then no reporters talked to high school <laughs> kids. That just didn't happen. Right. And over top me, top of me, he said, "Hey, how'd you how'd you guys get that win?" And I said, "Man, we just do it." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have any explanation. We just we just get it done somehow. Didn't have any explanation. So 
it's all about team chemistry and, and bonding. It's the same thing that the Patriots talk about. Every, every, every championship team talks about how they love each other and they play for each other and, and sacrifice. And it's all the same thing. Yeah. That's awesome. You better pet that's your why, dog. That's why we are at Willie Middle <laughs> School is a great staff, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Because we're tight and we care about each other. That's a team, man. It Absolutely. Is. Absolutely. It is. So, uh, Shane, we'll, uh, we'll, let, we'll let you go here in a little bit. But uh, okay. maybe next time you're on, you can tell your story about our uh, your experience with the Browns Hall of Famer as a child. Oh, that would be awesome. I think, I think, I think, I think, I think next time that'd be a good story. I, I can right. We can tease our next Shane segment with that. That's one, that would right. pretty sweet. All right. Uh, with that, it brings us to the end of today's episode. We'd like to thank, you know, the Browns for giving us something to talk about. We'd also like to thank our uh, wonderful wives who tolerate our insanity and our obsessive Browns fandom, even if they are on the wrong side of the rivalry. Thank you guys. And we'll see you all next time.